Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. While we're continuing our series, Easter According to the Gospel of John, with a message titled, Behold the Man. So turn in your Bibles to John 19, verses 1 to 7, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I'm reading John 19, 1 to 7. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. You know, the Apostles' Creed, there is a line which reads, He suffered under Pontius Pilate. And since the Apostles' Creed is a short summary of the essence of Christianity, Some have wondered why that line is there. Why, when telling the basics of the Christian faith, should the authors of the Apostolic Creed add the line, Jesus suffered under Pilate? I mean, after all, it doesn't say Jesus was crucified between two thieves, or that he was betrayed by Judas, or that he was denied by Peter, or even that he was condemned by the chief priests. I mean, those things are all true, and all of them happened, but the Apostles' Creed wants to give a very brief overview of the essentials. Well then, is the suffering of Jesus under Pilate an essential? Well, those who drew up the Apostles' Creed thought it important that whenever Christians would go and preach the gospel that they must not miss the most important truths about Jesus, four of them. It should always be mentioned, number one, that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. Second, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Third, that he was crucified, died, and was buried. And fourth, that on the third day he rose again. Okay, I get the importance of three of those items, but why this mentioning of suffering under Pilate? And I think the answer is that this phase of Jesus' trial that results in terrible suffering is at the heart of the gospel. We can't just go to the crucifixion. We must not bypass the horrible sufferings under Pilate that come before the crucifixion. You know, when I started this series, I said that if this were a movie, it would get an R rating for extreme violence. Indeed, it's hard not to be sickened by what we see in today's passage. And if you're a sensitive person, brace yourself for this gets very ugly, but also notice that you're on holy ground. So please notice the sequence of events. Jesus has by this time been taken to the house of Annas, the former high priest. Annas quickly determines that the charges against Jesus demand an official quick trial. John doesn't mention what the other gospel writers mentioned, that in the night, the Jewish Sanhedrin comes together. They quickly trump up charges against Jesus, sufficient, they believe, to bring him to the Roman authorities for execution. But Pilate is not going to fast track this as the Jewish authorities had wanted. And to the horror of the Jewish religious leaders, Pilate finds him not guilty. But then in a strange twist, instead Pilate says, who do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, the robber and insurrectionist, or Jesus? And they're screaming for Barabbas. Now here's where it gets strange. After the Roman trial, before Pilate, where Jesus is found not guilty, 
and the crowd is shouting to crucify him anyway, Pilate amazingly takes a man whom he has found not guilty, and then he hands him over to his troops to flog him. So why? Now, if you read all four gospel accounts carefully, you're going to notice that there are, in fact, two floggings of Jesus. Matthew and Mark both tell us that Jesus was flogged after Pilate sentences him to be crucified, and John mentions that Jesus was flogged before his sentencing in order to evoke some kind of pity among the religious teachers and to get him released. And from comparing the various accounts, we come to the conclusion that there are two separate floggings. So let's try to understand how this came to be. We know from history that the Romans had separate kinds of floggings, each one more severe than the next, and each one had a separate name, and each one was administered according to a crime. The flogging that Matthew and Mark record, the later one, that's what the Romans would have called the verberatio, which is terrible beyond belief. See, during the verberatio, the victim was stripped naked and tied to a post and then beaten by several soldiers with whips that contained chunks of bone and metal to tear out flesh. They carried on this beating until the soldiers were so exhausted that they couldn't carry on. And eyewitness reports of this tell us that it was so brutal that by the time they were done, large sections of the bones of the victims were exposed and often the intestines were left dangling out of the back. Many died in this event. That's why Jesus couldn't carry his own cross. His body simply was beginning to fail him. And I must pause here because I want to allow the sufferings of Jesus to sink in. This is what our precious Savior suffered under Pontius Pilate. But here in John, Pilate only begins the brutality. John mentions the first scourging, probably the lightest form of punishment called the fustigation, kind of beating the Romans delivered to hooligans and petty criminals in order to teach them a lesson and give them a warning. So let's consider verses 2 and 3. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. It seems that the Roman soldiers weren't content to administer a beating on Jesus. They had by this time heard that this man pretended to be the king of the Jews and perhaps even their long-awaited Messiah. And they decide now that they're going to humiliate him along with the Jewish hopes for the Messiah. And so they decide to make a show of his claim to be a king. And soon we have to imagine, you know, with mockery and vulgarity, they decide to dress him up just like a king. Make this, they thought, as macabre a scene as could possibly be. You know, Oriental kings of that day would wear a radiant corona. It was a crown, one would often seen displayed on coins or on statues. It was the crown of a king. Let's make one like that, they said, and they start to look around for one. And in time, the idea grows. Let's make it as humiliating a crown as we can, and they hunt around for what's available. And they find thorns from a very often found thorn bush in that region. You know, many Bible teachers believe this to have been the thorns from the date palm. It's abundant in that region. It would have 12-inch thorns on it. And the soldiers now whipped up with both fury and mockery, drove it into his head. And this would have pierced through his skull, and it would have resulted in heavy bleeding, and it would have distorted his facial features. The pain would have been considerable, and the bleeding would have also been profuse. But even with such cruelty, the soldiers are still not done. So please understand, they're acting on their own authority, but they're also acting in the way that Roman soldiers often acted, and they're not concerned about any reprisals. 
There will be no disciplining of them for what they do to Jesus. They'll get away with it. They're going to go home. No reprisals will come their way. And so, knowing that, they just carry on. And where do they get the purple robe? Well, John doesn't tell us. Some scholars believe it must have been a military robe that had been available to them, and that does make some sense. Now, here's an interesting thing. Matthew, you know, in Matthew 27, verse 28 says, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. But John says they put a purple robe on him. So who's right? Or, you know, is this a contradiction between the two Bible writers? Well, it's not. And I think part of the answer is found in the book of Revelation. You might remember that in chapter 17 of the book, there's a chapter describing the great prostitute and its Babylon. And she represents all the cultures of the earth that that glorify themselves and reject the one true God and make themselves out to be God. And then we come to Revelation 17, verse 4, where John says, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. So both colors. And the ancients thought of both of these colors as markers of the ruler. You know, because purple dye was very expensive in that day, you know, it was taken from shellfish, and you need to kill a lot of shellfish to get it, and to have a completely purple robe was very rare and overtly expensive, and I would have to believe that these soldiers didn't have access to something like that, but they did have access to purple and red, and it was both of these colors together in the robe. But it was good enough. They now have a crown, they have a disfigured face, they have blood running readily down from his head, and they have the robe of a king, and they have the cries, Hail, King of the Jews, which is meant to mimic Ave Caesar. And still they're not done. They cry, Hail to the king, at the same time, battle-hardened soldiers are now striking him with their hands. Well, these blows would have been far worse than anything that Jesus had ever experienced before. These were from hardened military men who could knock you senseless in a moment. You know, Matthew even adds in Matthew 27, verse 30, that they were also hitting him on the top of the head, on the top of the crown of thorns with a staff used as a false scepter for a king. As cherished children of God, we all share the great commission to spread the gospel across the globe. This is no simple command, but if we partner with each other, we stand a much greater chance of enriching the lives of many with the good news of Jesus Christ. This month to commemorate the importance of this partnership, Back to the Bible Canada is celebrating our monthly partners who bless this ministry with their consistent gifts. Thank you so much for your continued support. Our Bible teaching and engagement resources simply cannot exist without it. By donating monthly, you join our 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner Program and gain access to all its unique benefits. To find out more about these exclusive benefits or to become an 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner, just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. When the Apostolic Creed says that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, you know, it doesn't say that this was all part of the sentence that Pilate handed down. Rather, this barbaric treatment of Jesus was done under Pilate's command. He is responsible. He doesn't lift a finger to stop it. But what do we make of the sufferings of Jesus under Pontius Pilate? 
Well, this is the portrait of Jesus given by Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 52 verse 3 says, One from whom men hide their faces, his appearance by the end had become so marred that he was now unrecognizable. And with that and a purple robe that was now around him, Pilate wishes to release him. He brings him before the religious leaders, already bloodied and swollen from the beatings. Verses 4 and 5, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold a man. The Latin is echo homo. I suppose it might be put this way. Behold this pathetic-looking man. You're worried about this guy? With no effort at all, my soldiers have reduced him to what you now see, hardly recognizable. See, Pilate's doing two things. One, he's mocking the Jewish religious leaders. You've worked yourself into a lather over this person whom I deal with easily. If you had any understanding, you wouldn't be afraid of this man. I'm not, but you are. He's mocking the Jews. But please also see that he is mocking Jesus. So this is the man who healed the sick and raised the dead and claimed to be your Messiah. Look at you. Pilate seems to be saying to Jesus, you're nothing. Rome is everything. I, as Rome's representative, am everything. My soldiers are everything. You're nothing. He's mocking. Behold the man. But Pilate has method in his madness. He is at least at this moment convinced that this show of his strength and authority will put an end to the trial. He will not appease the hated Jews by crucifying Jesus, and in the end, He will look like he's strong, and the Jews will look like extremists, worried about nothing. Pilate now thinks he's put the Jews in their place. But the effect of this has consequences Pilate had never predicted. It sets them in a frenzy like sharks that have first caught their first scent of blood in the water. See, the religious leaders are now like irrational beasts, unable to restrain any emotion. Crucify him, they're now screaming. Veins are popping out, eyes are bulging, saliva is dripping, and they're screaming for all they can. That's what we find in verse 6a. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. You know, on the one hand, Pilate is ridiculing the fears of the religious leaders, and the religious leaders are screaming back. As the two sides scream to each other, Jesus is hardly remembered for a moment. It's as if he's the sidebar of the story of hatred between Rome and Jerusalem. And yet John wants us to remember Jesus. The words, behold the man, are recorded so that we might listen to those words. Listen again to Isaiah's description. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Oh, did you notice Isaiah's words? In the end, it was not the religious leaders or Pilate or the soldiers who directed these events. Indeed, he was smitten by God. Please don't ignore this fact. This is the beginning of the outpouring of God's wrath onto his son. He becomes our substitute, and God is now in Jesus, showing what he thinks of sin. Behold the man. You know, it's interesting. Isaiah sees another perspective of the sufferings of Jesus. Yeah, the Jewish authorities are responsible, and of course, Pilate is responsible. The soldiers are responsible and accountable for all of this. But according to Isaiah, I hope you noticed it. He was smitten by God. It was the Lord's will to cause him to suffer. And so we might say, behold the man, the man whom God determined should suffer in this fashion. 
And as we behold the man, we must not, seeing him marred and beaten, behold him as Pilate wants us to behold him. You know, Pilate meant to say, behold, a man of no importance at all. Rather, we must see him who he truly is. Look at verse 6. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. That is to say, not only do I find him not guilty, but I can't imagine that you would be worried about this man. And with that, we come to verse 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. And tomorrow we're going to see that this caused Pilate a considerable degree of fear. And he wants to know what's going on. Are things getting out of control? But for us who are beholding the man, we need to hear the response of the Jewish leaders. He has to be put to death, for he has made himself to be the Son of God. And we must see the beaten, marred, and disfigured Son of God and behold him as such. And how does one come to terms with such contradictory images? How can one say of this man that on the one hand, you would look away, as Isaiah said, as one from whom men hide their faces, like a badly disfigured man who suddenly, you know, stands before us and we're overwhelmed with his disfigurement. It shows in our own faces. And at the same breath, we say of this man, look at his beauty and his majesty who causes angels to fall before him in worship. You know, there's an older chorus we used to sing. I love this chorus written by Graham Kendrick. It said, meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, in perfect harmony, the man who is God. Lord of eternity dwells in humanity, kneels in humility and washes our feet. Oh, what a mystery. Meekness and majesty, bow down and worship for this is your God. I love that old chorus. I don't know if you remember it. But of course, I want to add another verse to that chorus from John's gospel. I want to add these words, horror and majesty, disfigurement and deity in perfect harmony, the suffering servant who is God, Lord of eternity, beaten so mercilessly, crushed so cruelly, yet takes away sin. Oh, what a mystery, horror and majesty, bow down and worship for this is your God. Behold your king, says Pilate, and John records those words for our benefit. Christian, this is your king, and because of this, you've had your sins forgiven. So worship, for he suffered under Pontius Pilate. So let's get back to our story. With Jesus standing there and with Pilate agitating the Jewish religious leaders and with Pilate threatening to let him go, the religious leaders betray to Pilate for the first time why he's really there. Remember, they've lied to Pilate. They've tried to convince him that they brought Jesus to be crucified because he claimed to be a king and was threatening Roman rule, and Pilate knows it's a lie. But now, in this moment of pressure, the truth leaks out. For here he stands, not for sedition against the empire, but because he claims to be the Son of God. See, please understand here that Pilate and the Jewish teachers had a very different view of what that term meant. I mean, for the Jews, that term meant equality with the one true God. And this for them was blasphemy. So please don't misunderstand why Jesus was handed over to be crucified. He was crucified because he claimed equality with God. Don't ever miss that. But for Pilate, his world was a world of superstition. 
And in some Greek and Roman myths, the gods were portrayed as having sexual relations with women and producing half-gods and half-men. And there are other superstitions as well. And some of you might even remember when Paul healed a man on his first missionary journey that according to Acts 14, verse 11, the crowd saw what Paul had done and they lifted their voices in Lyconian and they said, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. You know, the idea of divine men, either in the gods appearing or in half-gods and half-men, you know, those myths were around in Roman culture. And Pilate, as soon as he hears the real reason the Jews are handing Jesus over, well, a stab of fear goes through his heart. He hadn't anticipated that. Well, a stab of fear should go through our hearts as well. If the Romans and the Jews so treated the Son of God, well, it's a picture of how we've all treated the Son of God. Because all of us, to be truthful, would have responded in exactly this way had we been either Pilate or one of the high priests or members of the Sanhedrin. This is a picture of us. We are all shouting at this moment, crucify him. Please don't release this man, release Barabbas. This, says God, is a picture of the human race. This is a picture of our own sin. We condemn the one who came to save us. Behold the man. And as we behold the man, let's weep for our sins. Let's confess our sins. Let's come before God in humility and say, O God, have mercy on me because of these actions of the Son of God. Thanks so much, John. You know, so many people will acknowledge Jesus as a great moral teacher in the line of a Gandhi and others, but to limit Jesus in this way really is to misunderstand the Jesus of the Bible. Yeah, I mean, if this is all that Jesus is, there's really not enough to, um, to make a, you know, a 2,000-year history of individuals living and dying only for him. In that case, Jesus simply takes his place among, you know, religious reformers or something of the like. And if that's all he is, there's no reason to fall before him and worship him. And uh, in that case, we would only look at the events of Good Friday and the crucifixion of Jesus as a tragedy. But as a matter of fact, what we are saying is that God humbled himself and took on the form of a man and that he died on the cross to pay for our sins and that by his wounds we are healed. And this is saying so much more. I mean, this is finally to say, I mean, behold the man. Who is it that we're looking at? We're looking at the great God of heaven who has humbled himself and who has paid for our own sins. This is the Easter story. It is the story of faith. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Easter, according to the Gospel of John, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. There is no event more significant to the body of Christ than Easter. It's a time to reflect on the ultimate sacrifice made by Jesus that paid the price for humanity's sins. To help us reflect on this holy occasion, we put together a special short-form video feature of select scriptures from Dr. John's new series, Easter According to the Gospel of John. We believe this video will help prepare your heart for Easter. So all you need to do is head over to the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel 
or visit our website at backtothebible.ca. And while you're there, don't forget to click the subscribe button and never miss another ministry feature video. Thank you for all you do to support this ministry. For more information or to gift this ministry with your support, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.